0: Welcome to this week's episode of Stand Out: How to Grow Your Organizational and Productivity Practice. Brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. With every episode, we're going to learn from subject matter experts who can help you build your business in areas like marketing, HR, and finance. We'll also introduce you to business owners who are out there just like you are, and we'll learn from their successes and challenges. Please welcome. Welcome your host, professional organizer, Sarah Karakayan.
1: Hello out there and welcome to Stand Out, the podcast all about growing your organizing and productivity business. I'm Sarah Karakayan, your host. If you're a solopreneur but wonder what it would be like to grow your business into a multi-person company, you're going to love today's episode. Or if you've just started the growing process and are in need of a little guidance, we've got one heck of a mover and shaker who is willing to give us a sneak peek into her 12 person company. Liz Jenkins is a certified professional organizer and started her business, A Fresh Space, in 2005 in Franklin, Tennessee. And yes, she was a solopreneur at the time. Over the last 13 years, Liz has grown her business into a successful 12-person company that focuses on residential organizing, move management, business consulting, and has recently added a handyman division. Her National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals contributions include chairing the 2015 NAPO Conference in L.A., speaking at several NAPO conferences, including the Ask the Organizer panel and a breakout session, nearly every board position in NAPO Nashville, and is currently the chair of the special interest groups. Her passion is managing her company and figuring out how to make her systems and procedures as efficient as possible. And don't worry, I'm going to dive in with her as much as I can on that. She lives in Franklin, Tennessee with her husband, teenage daughter, chocolate lab, four cats, and six chickens. She's an avid reader, an enthusiastic and talented cook, an enthusiastic and untalented yogi, and a big fan of Broadway musicals, box wine, and pedicures. Liz, welcome to Stand Out. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. I did some digging on your business and you as a person, and you have built quite the operation. So I am pumped to dig in. So why don't we start with how you got started in organizing back in 2005, or maybe it started before then, how you got into this industry.
2: So I started out, we had moved to the Nashville area, Franklin's right outside of Nashville. And I used to have a retail business. I had run my husband's contracting business, and I was a special ed teacher. And I was looking for something that I could do When my daughter was little, she was three and a half at the time, and we moved here, and I was kind of like, What do I wanna do? And then I read a book by Julie Morgenstern, I'm sure everybody out there has read it Organizing from the Inside Out, and I was like, Uh Oh my god, people do this for a living and they will pay me. Anyway, then I found NAPO and I got involved, and I've connected with a lot of people in the industry, got involved in the local chapter, um, took a lot of classes, taught some classes, (laughs) did some things, and um, really found that I loved it and interestingly over the course of growing my business which I did start as a solopreneur once I'd hired an assistant she started out as a subcontractor um, she went back to california got a different assistant she's been amazing and is now my right hand person my lead organizer i realized i loved organizing but i loved running my company more and i love managing my team and looking at ways to make my company successful more than i actually love organizing i still love organizing but I love growing the company and managing it at this point. And I think I'm not the only person who probably is going to get to that point. You get to your fifties like I am and I don't want to be hiking up and downstairs and I don't want to be hauling things around and I don't want to come home home covered in um, cobwebs. I'll do (laughs) it. There's nothing I will ask my employees to do that. I haven't personally done, but that's really my passion these days. So growing it from just me to my team has been
1: interesting and a challenge, but super rewarding. That's amazing. Let's dive into that a little bit. So how did you know when you first hired that assistant, although she was subcontractor, how did you know that that was the right move for you for your business at that time?
2: So what I looked at is I looked at the clients that I was working with. And when I first started, it was, I was scaling projects to be very small, but clients would ask me to do larger projects or I would be there for days and days and days, which is lovely. But I felt like I was, I don't want to say slogging, but it was like really hard to turn a project around really quickly. You know, you're going through papers. And if you're going through 20 years worth of papers with a golden retriever on your lap, you know, keeping your company, (laughs) which is one of my lovely clients, um, there's only so fast you can go through the papers. There's only so fast you can sort spices. And you get to the point where you're just like, you want to work with the client, but you have to do that grunt work of all the sorting and all the grouping and then the placing. And my passion was really working with the client. So when I thought about bringing somebody on board with me, it was, okay, if I can segment this part, work with it, but get a head start on how can I make the process go more quickly, then I can actually get through the projects more quickly. Plus, and I will tell you, when I first started, I did not upcharge for my assistant. I paid her exactly what I was paying her, and that's all I charge the client. And then I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I could be making money on this person. And the client was thrilled with it. Cause I, I was, I was selling it to the client as we're going to get done with this project faster. And it's more economical for you because it's increment uh, exponentially faster to have extra people on your team. And so when I would have an assistant there, what could have been a three or four day project for me, we were getting done in a day or a day and a half. And I would have the assistant, like we would start with all the sorting. And as soon as a group was done, I could start editing. They would continue sorting. When we were done with a category, they'd grab it, put that stuff away. And I could keep editing with the client. And the clients, especially my existing clients, were like, wow, this is amazing how much more quickly, not that they were complaining before, but it was like, whoa, this is a whole new world. And then as I started growing my team, it was really setting up the system so that those teams could work really efficiently together. And so I've had some, when I've done some consulting with client, with other organizers, they're like, well, how do I sell it to the client? And I'm like, you don't really have to, you just kind of have to say, Hey, this is how I work. This is what I do. And here's why this is awesome. And they're all like, wow, this is great. So that's, that's pretty much how it came about. It was creeping realizations over time of, Oh, this really works. I really like this
1: and I'm more efficient and my clients are happier and I can get more projects done. So that's how it came. Right. Out. And I'm assuming you started out with subcontracting. How did you, I, I'm, and now you're a 12-person company, they are employees. Is that correct? W-2. Mm-hmm. So how did you move into that world? So what it kind of came down to
2: is when you really look at the difference between an employee and a subcontractor, I, as most people who know me, <laughs> I'm very procedure-driven I like things done exactly as I want them to be done. That doesn't mean I'm not open to suggestions. I love to talk about how to make things better. And I love to brainstorm and come up with a good solution. But it is my company and I want things done the way that I want things done. And I have a specific end result that I want to have happen. And I want everybody to follow the procedures that we as a company have created. If you have a subcontractor, that's not part of the subcontractor deal. The subcontractor is doing it their way. Um, Maybe you're going to get the end result you want maybe they're going to do things the way you want. I think there are people out there who are treating subcontractors like employees and they're really not following the guidelines. That's, everybody's got their way of doing things. Um, I am a real rule follower when it comes to that sort of thing and I do not want to get called out by the IRS or by whoever. So I, I really try to make sure that I pay attention to the differentiation between those things. And so once I realize that, wait a minute, I am having these subcontractors do exactly what I'm asking employees to do, that's when I transitioned over to the employee thing. So I have a whole have a folder and drive with all my drop documents and you know, I've got them in payroll and everything like that. So I've had of onboard everybody. I do bring them on for a period of time as a subcontractor so that I can evaluate them. It's a trial period for about a month just to mm-hmm. make sure they gel with the team, that they understand our systems, and that they're a good fit. But it's just it's a trial period. But I have them sign a, a subcontractor agreement during that time to make sure. That that I'm covered legally.
1: Right, right. When it came to making them employees from a legal standpoint, did you find that transition difficult or hard to learn those steps? You know, everything from offering the certain amount of health care or, or how many hours you have to give them and be able to pay them to be employees. Um, what was that like for you to really just dig in and find out how to do it like you say, do it correctly and, and legally? I
2: didn't find it to be terribly hard. Um, I have a business attorney and she drew up an employee agreement and that was very thorough. I uh, worked with my accountant to set up payroll. Mm-hmm. And I would say for people who are moving into this world, there's only so much one person can do and bookkeeping and legal are not two of my strengths. So I would highly recommend outsourcing those things if you can find someone the book, the accountant, I moved from a bookkeeper to an accountant several years ago, which was a really good move for me just because when, when you get bigger, when you get bigger, there's just more to do. And the, the um, financial end of things gets a lot more complicated. So I now have somebody do that part of it. The legal aspect, like I said, I have a strong employee agreement. There's trying to think of like, Really I just gathered all the documentation, I just make sure that everything gets where it needs to go. You know, I have I have everything in a procedure now. So once I okay, I need the W9 or W9, the 10 uh, whatever all the different papers are, I can't think of them. Yeah. <laughs> I've got them all in a folder and my employee agreement, everything's in there so that when I do bring somebody on, I have a step-by-step to-do list that I follow that I made based on what my attorney and my accountant told me to do. And so I'm like have them fill out the W-9, check. Send it here, check. Well, you know, I do all of all my steps and then once all those steps are done, it's fine. The hardest thing that I find, and I don't, I don't want to say it's hard, but it's really making sure that you set up the onboarding procedures properly. It's really easy once you have a team to think like, oh, they're gonna get everything. Yeah, they don't. You've got to make sure you have all the legal and financial end of things set up, but you also need to make sure that you've got a strong onboarding process that really makes them understand the company culture, all of your procedures. We have very set procedures that we do at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. And sometimes people just don't get it. And that's a real warning sign like, hey, this may not be a good fit for my company. So there's, there's really two components to it is how they work with the company and then all the legal and financial end of things. Did that answer the question?
1: Uh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, my next question is, when you're starting out as a solopreneur and business is slow, you kind of look at yourself and you're saying, okay, I didn't make that much money this month. Now I can do all these other things in my business. Maybe it's writing a blog post or setting up social media accounts. Those are the new things that we do when we're building a business. And then you get a few years down the road, maybe you have another slow month and you kind of freak out about making money. But but if you got out there and you got more clients for yourself, you know, then I guess my question is, how do you know that you're ready to bring on employees and have enough work for them so that you're profitable? And of course, you have to pay them. I'm assuming whether they're part-time or full-time, they have a certain amount of hours that they're expected to to make. Is that how that works?
2: Uh, yes and no. And I realized you had actually asked about the hours thing in the last question. That's why I was like, I felt like I missed something. Um, <laughs> when I bring somebody on board, I never guarantee hours ever. Okay. Like, okay. I just won't. And I will tell them we have slow months, we have busy months, but I find out about how many hours would you like to have? And some of my team, they want to work like two to three days a week. Maybe they want to work, you know, 15 to 25 hours. I've got some people who really would prefer full time. If they don't get it, it's okay. So when Mm. I'm scheduling them, I take that into consideration just as I take into consideration who loves doing the closets and who likes doing the, you know, different areas and, and like kind of their, their temperament and their strengths but when it comes to hours, I don't guarantee hours. Gotcha. And I typically tend to hire people. And this is just a side note tip on the kinds of people that I like to hire. My typical employee is 35 plus. I very rarely hire younger people. Uh, I have one or two that I've, I've had that have been good, but my experience is that I really prefer typically mom's or people who have maybe retired early, or maybe they were a stay-at-home mom, but they used to have a corporate career, and now they want to get back and do something part-time. People whose kids are maybe middle school and higher that are really smart, very capable, have good project management skills and time management skills that want to get back in the workforce, but don't want to be committed to a nine-to-five, hour week job. Those right. are really good employees in my experience, and that's my typical employee. And they also don't, they're okay if they don't have full-time. So I try to avoid the full timers, the ones that need full time, because that scares the pants off me. I mean, if I don't, I worry all the time. I'm always worried. Am I going to give people enough hours? Are they going to be able to buy their food? Like I worry about that all the time. And that is a real concern. If you're looking to hire, y- you will worry all the time about them because it just comes with the territory. And I think if you're a good boss, which I'd like to think that I am, that you do care about them. You care about their needs and you care that they're going to get what they need out of the company. I also need to get what I'm going to get out of the company. So right. if they're not, if we're not all working, uh, I'm not paying my mortgage either. My, my right. company lives on what I make. Like he right. works for me full time. He's our handyman division. know, he left his full time job with a 401k and a company car and came to work for me full time. So what, what my company makes supports my entire household. So it is, it is really important that everybody works, but I, like I said, I don't guarantee hours and I do make sure that I'm very clear about the expectations when somebody comes on board regarding that. Um, but back to your question about how, how do you know when it's time to grow? Like if things are slow or things like that, I really encourage people at the very least to get at least one person with them. Hmm. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Part of it is part of it is. Safety, having another person with you um, can help you from a safety standpoint. You're going to people's houses that you don't know. It's just, it's really nice. If something happens, you've got another person there. If something happens from a liability standpoint, something gets broken, you've got another person there. If something happens between the client, I mean, it's very rare, but it can, you've got a witness. So that's one part of it. Another part is you're making money on that other person. So whatever you're choosing to charge in your company, X number of dollars, you're not going to charge that much for, I mean, I made that mistake at the beginning, but you're not going to charge that much for the employee. So say you're charging $5 for your, for your subcontractor or employee, you can bill 10 or 20 or whatever you want. And then that way you're making money. So that's actually going to grow. You can work less hours and make more money. If you've got two employees, well, now you've doubled your profit. And the nice thing about that too, is because you have more employees or people that you're working with you can then build, have more jobs. So what you're doing is you're setting that stage of, now I can get more clients, I can work more jobs, I can send employees independently to make money without me, and you're now growing your client base. Because if before you could see one client a week, now maybe you can see two or three clients a week. Well, all of those clients have friends, business associates, they're going to talk about you on social media, so now you're growing your client base at the same time. So there's a lot of benefits to having those employees. And depending on what you want those employees to do, there are some organizers, I don't do this, but some organizers have employees that work on client development. Um, they go out, um, they market, they bring in their own leads. I do that in my company, but other organizers do it that way. They've got employees that that's their job, going out and getting leads. You can bring somebody in, like we have two people in my company, they're full time. Well, I say full time, between the two of them, they probably work 35 to 45 hours a week. It's like probably 20 hours a week for each of them. And their entire job is shopping, returns, sourcing, shipping packages, picking up things, dropping things off, managing the supplies for the team, managing the storage unit, all that kind of stuff. That's all they do. And that came on board because we were all exhausted. We're all on site all day long, every day. And then at the end of the day, we're like trying to bag up the supplies and do deal with the donations and all that kind of stuff. So now these two team members, that's all they do. So if somebody just wanted to get started and bring one person in, they might look for somebody who could be like a part-time on-site assistant and a part-time off-site assistant. Somebody who's helping them with shopping and returns and donations and doing some of that grunt work so that you can then focus on growing your business going to networking events, and contacting clients. And really, I really encourage people to write down all of the stuff that they have to do. And then that's what I do. And then I'm like, yeah, what do I not like doing? <laughs> and who yeah. Can do that? <laughs> what do I suck at? And who can do that? <laughs> and then what, what I noticed is the more I did that, and the more I focused on the things that I really was good at, like I'm really good at client consults. I'm really good at networking. I don't love it, but I'm good at it. Um, I'm really good at communicating with clients. I'm really good at materials sourcing, like figuring out what the right materials are and getting the like, killer products in there. I'm, maybe it's not the best use of my time, but I'm really good at it, I'm efficient at it, and it really makes the jobs better. Um, I'm not great at invoicing, but I kind of have to do it, although I might be offloading that to one of my team members soon. The accountants handle all the back stuff, but I do the invoicing and the deposits. But, um, but I really try to look at what are the things that I don't, even if I, maybe I feel like, oh, I should probably do that. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to. <clears throat> and then I can really put my full energy into the growth. And I think what happens, i think people are scared to bring somebody on because they think, oh my gosh, does somebody have to worry about it? and da, da, da. And I'm like, you know, just bring on somebody, start out slow, bring them in a job, give them a couple tasks, see how they do, then give them a little bit more responsibility and bring it on board. and. It'll start to become more natural and then you'll be like, oh, why didn't I do this sooner? Which is exactly what I thought. And then, then you can start to go, don't go out and hire five people. That's ridiculous. But maybe one person on, give them a couple of responsibilities and see what happens and see how you feel about it. You might be like, you know what? I don't really like having another person here. I find this really awkward and uncomfortable. Go with your gut on that. It's totally fine. We make mistakes all the time in our company. All we have to do is look at it and say, "You know what? That probably wasn't the best move." Or we all hate this. Here's an example: We decided in my company to, to um, start a personal assistant portion because we thought, "Oh, this would be a great market. We're in a great neighborhood. This would be awesome." Yeah, we all hated it. We, everyone hated it. We we love doing it for our existing client base, but as a standalone service, it sucked. We didn't have that relationship with our client we were running all around town. The money wasn't great. We were like this. So we reevaluated after six months. We're like, we don't want to do this. And it was kind of sucky. We had, it was like, we had a couple clients clients had to let go because of that. But you know what? We're all happier now. So going with your gut about how you're feeling about things is super important. And just because you decide to step into bringing an employee or a subcontractor on does not mean you have to be that way forever. There are, there are organizers and other companies out there that start out one person Then they grow and then they go back down to
1: that one person because that's, what's the right thing for that person. So to be comfortable with change Mm -hmm. is important to growing a successful business.
2: Yeah. We, we have changed so much in my company. I mean, I've changed, I've grown, we've changed what we, what our focuses are. I mean, I look at pictures of work that I did 10 years ago and I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. it's just like, what was I thinking? But you know, you're learning and you're growing. And I think we do a really good job now. But I also recognize that I just have to always reevaluate. We reevaluate things all the time. And I really encourage people to not be afraid of that. You have to face it head on. You've got to look at things honestly and really think about how you're feeling about those things. And what are the right. things that scare you and then address them? Right. Talk about that if you want to talk about that further. But
1: Yeah. I, I have one more technical question about contractors versus employees. Um, I, myself, my husband, and I are a team. So we're both part owners. We hire subcontractors out for the work that either we're not good at or we're not licensed to do. I know from my accountant I, that, you know, our subcontractors can only work a certain amount of hours a year before they are then technically kind of acting as employees. What are the benefits that you have to offer your employees, even if you don't have to offer them a certain set amount of hours? Are there, is there anything else legally that you have to offer them since they are W-2s versus um, uh, what are they w- W-9s? Yeah. <laughs> I
2: never remember all the <laughs> numbers. Numbers. <laughs> uh, so what we have, and this is what I believe is what's needed. Um, I have full liability insurance, but that's company related. I also mm-hmm. have full workers comp for all of my employees right the important thing is workers compensation it, it falls under my business insurance it's not cheap right it's important and you have to have it so that is that's the main thing i'm actually currently exploring offering my employees disability insurance even the workers comp covers things that are on the job disability covers things that would happen to them off the job and then covers all those outside things it would be an employee buy-in I may pay a small portion of it, but at least it gives them the opportunity to get a group rate on disability. I looked into healthcare, but realistically it's not, it's not something that we can personally offer right now within the company. It's very, very expensive because you have to right. pay 50% of it. And then you have to have a certain number of people that join it. And it was, um, it just was not feasible for us. Other benefits wise, not really any legal or insurance related. I mean, we do do one. And some of the perks, if you're just thinking benefits that aren't related to that, one of the perks about working for a company like mine is that they don't have to work 40 hours a week. If they want to take every, as one of my employees does every Thursday morning off to play tennis, then she just puts on the calendar, not available Thursday morning, not a problem. You want to go to California for two weeks? not available for two weeks. It is totally fine. So that's a real perk to working for my company. And I think for a lot of small business owners like this, where you, they can have a very flexible schedule. You know, I can't have somebody who can only work a half a day, three days a week. That's not going to work. But if you don't want to work on Fridays or your kid is sick and you can't work that day, or it's not going to jeopardize your job. And it's, it is a real benefit for a lot of the clients. We also pass along any of our company discounts. They can go shop at the container store. They can do different things like that. They can borrow our folding tables from the storage unit. (laughs) They're having a party. (laughs) So that kind of thing. So it's a very very comfortable environment to work within. And so I think those are kind of perks too. And also just having the input, because all of my employees have input into company growth. We have regular team meetings. We talk about procedures we talk about how things are going I just had a meeting with my two team support people which are the shoppers and we sat down for an hour and a half I bought them lunch and we just talked about how are things going what are some things that we can improve we identified three things nothing was it was like really minimal but it was just like little things like don't put photos in the middle of the shopping list because it really messes up the formatting (laughs) and um uh, midday orders and like how the timing should be just little things. And then I made an announcement to the whole team, but now my team support feels that they've been heard and everybody else is like, absolutely. This makes total sense. So the benefit I think of working in a smaller company, and if you set up your company culture in that way, the perks are partly financial. Like I could, I pay my people really well and you know, they're not making minimum wage. But I'm also billing for them substantially as well. I mean, I'm making money on everybody. I think the goal of owning your company should be to make money. We all want to have job satisfaction. We want to have a good company. But at the bot- when it comes down to it, the bottom line is you need to make money. And you can make money in this industry. I think some people maybe choose not to want to look at it that way. I don't know if it's a woman thing. I don't know if it's a sometimes a second or third career type thing. But seriously, we need to make money. But that being said, the perks of working for a company like this is that People have input, people have um, the opportunity to be part of something, and they can help develop that company culture, and they can help develop and grow something. So my employees that have been with me for three, four, five, six years, they love that. They know that they can come to me and say, hey, I'm really interested in learning about this. I had one of my employees, she came to me and she was like, hey, I found this class in Nashville, and it's on... um, on handwriting, like not calligraphy, but you know how you see all the beautiful writing on the labels. And she's like, it's $75. Can I take that? Could the company buy, you know, pay for me to take this class? And I'm like, yes, go take the class, come back and teach us. So she went and took the class, came back and showed us a bunch of tips. And that was her having incentive to go do that. I will pay for my employees to take classes or to learn, or um, we'll bring people in to teach us classes when we have our team meetings. So they have the opportunity to grow so, that is a real perk, I think, for being in a business like this, where you may not be able to offer them a company car, but you can offer them mileage or you can offer them that, the chance to help grow and have themselves be heard in a company. So, I think company culture is just as important as the financial end of things. I've had so many employees come to me and say, This is the best company I've ever worked for. It's the only company where I feel like I'm actually heard and that I make a difference. And I think that is what makes a good company and then that when you when you take that aspect of it then you can turn that into like oh I love my company you know I I love I love that not that there's not problems and not that I haven't had employees that haven't been an issue for one way or the other but I think that if you can develop that it's a real it's that perk that I think a lot of people are looking for more so not that they don't want to make money and have a good paycheck that is a perk that they look for
1: Right do you have a brick and mortar location where everyone comes at the beginning of the day or how does that how does that look with your business no, we I don't I have a home office, which is where I am right now uh, i
2: don't I don't really need it i I thought about it, but I don't really need it. I like working from home uh the employees we don't meet in the morning honestly I've got typically I might have two maybe i' Might have two or three jobs going on. I've got people that live in Franklin, Spring Hill, Brentwood, Nashville. They're all over the place. For everybody to meet in one place would be completely not efficient. We do um, regular meetings. So I have a couple of meetings. Um, Last meeting we had at Whole Foods. They have a meeting room sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes we have met at my house just because, but as I've grown, I, I don't literally have enough chairs for everybody at this point. But if you have a smaller group, we can meet at somebody's house and we just bring muffins and, you know, have coffee and sit around and chit chat a little bit, but then we really get to business. I have an agenda. Uh, I get input from the team. I have things I want to talk about. We'll do some training, things like that. Uh, like I've hired Napo members to actually call in and talk about working with a team, ADHD, things like that. So we do training and things like that with the team. But the meeting place itself is typically offsite, someplace. I know that some people might want. I, I guess you can see. That oh yeah let's all meet in the morning. The team that's on site at the job they meet outside the client's home, mm-hmm. kind of do a little powwow before they walk in. But that's their team. you have got the lead organizer and the other organizers and the team support people. They'll meet there and talk. But I don't. I'm not there. We've already talked. They, they know what they're doing. I don't. I don't need to be involved. And everybody has no need to come together. But we have a monthly operations meeting, and that's where it's me, my assistant, the team support people, and the lead organizers get together. And we just talk about, is anything going on with the other organizers? Are there any client issues? How's everything flowing? Is everything going smoothly? Any technical procedural type things? And we'll just sit down for about two, maybe three hours, once a month, and just hash out all that stuff. And then about once a quarter, sometimes you had to move it if like, you know how it is, like a job comes in, you're like, oh, I got to move the meeting. But uh, usually about once a quarter, we'll do a team meeting with everyone, and at the last meeting, this is when we had at Whole Foods, they have a meeting room and we just went and everybody got, I bought everybody lunch. They just went through the buffet line, got lunch and we all hung out, chatted for a little while. And then we just dug into the meeting and then I had a yoga instructor come and she taught everybody some stretching moves to help our low backs and shoulders just for half an hour. It's my favorite yoga instructor. I told you I'm a very... I'm very enthusiastic, but not very good. I'm actually excited about something coming up this year because they've got the yoga person. I'm super excited about that because I, I do yoga once a month. I'm really bad at it, but I try every month. And I'm getting better. I can almost touch my toes. So I'm super excited. I know I still have to bend my knees, but I'm getting there. I have really bad muscles, really tight hamstrings. But I, I was trying to look for what can we do to grow. And I also want the team to feel really comfortable with each other because I mix my team members up. I don't always have the same people working with the same people. We tried that. And this isn't just a side note on this. You really have to think about how you're going to place your people and how they're going to lay out on your teams. Because when I first started bringing people on and I had two lead organizers, plus myself, I don't really go on site at all anymore, but I had these two lead organizers, both were very good in their own ways. Like each had different strengths and I had them kind of with different client bases. And certain organizers seemed to work really well with them. And so I had separated out. I had These three people went on these jobs. These three people went on those jobs. But what I found was it, it created a bit of a, a barrier, sort of like a divide, almost like an us versus them, not on purpose and not like anybody was a bad person, or. Any, but it was like these two different, it was like I had two different wings of my company that didn't really overlap. And then if I ever needed to move somebody, like add people on to an unpacked job or something like that, they didn't quite gel. And so, um, one of my leads had left over the summer, and we completely rejiggered how the whole mm-hmm. thing laid out. and it turned out to work out really well. It was now I just I put people in, I strategically mix them up. Like I have some people that just kind of typically go on jobs together, but I will mix them up. I'll put these three people here and two here and one doing, yep. you know, a uh, finished work thing and having people moving around. And I've noticed it's really helped the team feel much more cohesive. So that's one of those learning experiences. It's like you try something and you're like, what? And I knew there was something that was bothering me, but I couldn't really figure out what it was. And then it, it kind of real, I'm like, Oh yeah. So now I even had some of, so I had a few, one of my newer people had mentioned to me and it wasn't a complaining. She just said, Hey, sometimes it's, it's a little hard when you're going working with this lead versus that. Cause I have three people that act as leads right now. One is all the time a lead. The other two, sometimes are leads and sometimes are, are assistants just depending on the jobs and how many we have. And she was, she just, she was just commenting that sometimes it was, it was a little challenging to work with because everybody has different styles. And, and so one of the other um, people had mentioned, well, you know, maybe we should try to keep the same people on the, on the, teams and i said you know i hear what you're saying but i and i explained my rationale behind it which is i want everybody to feel that they can step in on any team at any time because we do a ton of documentation everybody's documenting everything to-dos and shopping lists and photo updates everything every single day so anybody should be able to go from one i could literally have one person walk in the middle of the day from one job to another job and they should be able to step in and seamlessly take over yes and That is because everybody is comfortable with working with everybody else. And I think that's, that is really, really important.
1: Yes. Oh, you have just given, I mean, even in the last, I think it's been 30 minutes, such great content. I need to take a quick break, but when we come back, I love how you mentioned how important it is to talk about money in your business and to know that you need to make money in this business. So when we come back, we're going to address that a little bit more, but first a quick break.
0: The National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals is proud to offer NAPO University's live webinars. These webinars are offered several times each year. Many of NAPO University's courses are also available on demand, which enables students to purchase them and then watch or listen at any time. We have more than 140 courses ranging from starting an organizing business to productivity chain assessment and everything in between. Visit napo.net to learn more.
1: Okay, we are back. I am talking with Liz Jenkins and she has a company called A Fresh Space and she has a 12-person company that focuses on residential organizing, move management, business consulting and recently added a handyman division and I heard her mention how important money is and let's be honest, we're here to make money. This is the podcast about growing your organizing and productivity business. What I found very interesting about your website, Liz, is on the Hire Us page, you actually say how much it costs to hire you and your team. What made you decide to do that? Have you always done that? And what do your potential clients and your actual clients think of that?
2: I didn't always do it, but... I chose I'm trying to remember when I added that. I feel like it was quite a while. It was when I redid this particular website. We're actually in the middle of a website redesign right now, and it'll be on there too. And the reason I do it is I find that when people call, most of the time, by the time they call us, they're already a pretty good fit. Mm -hmm. And what I found before I put the rates on the website, they weren't always, they were just Googling organizers or whatever their search terms were. And so what would happen is I would get the phone calls and we'd have this lovely conversation. And then I always talk about the rates on the phone call, how much the consult costs, how much the hourly rate is, what a typical project looks like, because I don't want to go out and do a consult and then find out that, oh yeah, I've got a $50 budget. Yeah, that's, I won't won't even come to the consult for that. So um, I want to make sure that they are very aware of what a project can look like, how long it's gonna take, and how much it's gonna be. So when I'm communicating with a client, I want them to see it on the website. I want them to know how much it is per hour, and they may not know how long a project is, but when I'm on the phone call with them, I'm talking to them about that. I'm letting them know that here's our base hourly rate, I add additional people, it's this much, and a typical project might look like this, and just making sure that they have at least a base understanding. And then I'm following up with an email. The rates are in the email and then I go do the consult. I talk about the rates at the consult and then I send them another email with confirming dates and whatnot. And it's in there again. I have, um, I use Gmail and Gmail in their labs has a lab. I don't know if it's an add on or whatever called canned responses. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. Yeah. I have a canned response and it's like to recap our process. Typical day. Here's how much it costs. Blah blah blah, and it's all in there. So I just throw that at the bottom of most of my email communication. I do not ever want there to be any mistake. And I will tell you, when I first started organizing, it was really, really hard for me to talk about money. Really hard. Like I literally would like, like I couldn't even talk. (laughs) Yeah. And I would like avoid it. And then, but then what would happen is you'd give them an invoice and they'd be like, "I didn't know it was going to be this much," or "It didn't really happen that much." But you know what I mean? Yeah. It was uncomfortable and i felt like i was like being shady about it or trying to slide an invoice in and i thought you know i want to make sure that my clients know exactly how much it's going to be and i will say that my rates are actually probably a little low we're gonna we're gonna bump them a little bit uh with the new website not a lot but they're they're competitive i don't they're not outrageous it's just this is what we charge and i don't want there to be a secret about it and i don't i think that people need to really get over that They need to be as upfront. And here's what I found. If you're talking to somebody and they're like, well, I don't have a lot of money. And you're like, that is totally fine. This may not be the best fit for us. Right. Uh, Let me refer you to somebody, maybe a newer organizer whose rates are not where we're at. You know, basically you get what you pay for it in my experience. And not every client is for you. And I, I think what happens though, and I've, I've done this myself is I think we as organizers, we want to help. Like, we all have big hearts we want to help we and i i want to be really clear that my talking about wanting to make money is not in any way in contrast with me wanting to help my clients right they are so however i need clients that can pay us and so having the rates on the website basically filters out people who will reach out to me and i've had people call me because the rates are on the website they don't want to go to somebody's, and they're like, I don't know how much this is going to be, but my rates are on there. And they're like, oh, that works for me. So they'll call me because, and I've had a lot of people tell me that. They'll say, oh, well, I, I just, I felt comfortable because you, you're really transparent about what you have, what you do. And I'm like, that is how I am. And I, it took me a long time, many, many years to get actually comfortable. So when I'm on that consult with the client, I am saying, first, I'm hearing everything that they're saying. Tell me about what you have going on, better write notes, da, da, da. And then I say, would you like me to tell you how we work? And they're like, of course. I'm like, great. So then I go through, here's what the consult looks like. It costs this much. Then we do this and it costs this much. And this is about how much, I'm not saying exactly like that, of course, but I'm just running through our procedure and then I'll say, does that sound like that works for you? And 99% of the time they're like, that sounds great. When can we book a consult? occasionally they might say, you know what, I didn't, I didn't look at that page on your website and I didn't realize it was going to be that much. And I'll be like, I totally understand. Are there any resources that I can help you with? So sometimes I'll send them to like, maybe they really just like, I had one guy who really, he really wanted his garage cleaned out. I interpreted that as organizing, but after talking to him and going through what we do, he even said, he goes, I'm not sure we need quite that level. I I think I just need some people to like move stuff around and put some shelves up. I said, you know, I think that you're absolutely right here are two companies that I would call here's their numbers touch, touch base with them. But when you move, cause he talked about moving in the next year or two, please call me back because that's exactly what we do. But I don't think we're the right company for you right here, right now. And he was thrilled. So I'll follow up with him in eight, you know, six, eight months and see if they're going to move. But in the meantime, I gave him a referral for, I didn't make him like go hunting again for somebody to help with his garage. But you know, I, I try to be as generous as I can with people And so if somebody calls and they're not the right fit for me, I will, I had one client who was a hoarding person. I don't really do hoarding. I mean, could I do it? Sure. Do I want to do it? No, but I do know a couple people who do in our area. So I'm happy to pass their name along. Um, Or if it's just somebody that I just don't click with, I do that too. But if they really don't have the money, I will try to find or help them or offer to do a DIY session, which is just hourly and come out and meet with them and give them their own plan happy to do that too. So, it's not about me changing my rates or how I'm doing things, it's more about hearing what they're saying and then coming up with something that may or may not work that will hopefully work for them but isn't going to compromise how I approach my company. Right. So, from but from the making money standpoint, I do believe that there is really strong potential to make money in this industry. I think that where most organizers and I think small business owners in general fail, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean, I think yeah. I've, I've done this myself is I think that number one, typically we're not charging enough for our services because we are really good at it and we tend to undervalue our service. We also make a lot of assumptions about our clients. So I, I consulted with somebody recently, super nice woman, and she was spending so much time on her invoices, like micro down to the grand to tiniest granular level. And I was like, the clients don't care. Like they really, they just want to know how much it is. You can line item a couple of things, but they don't need to know that you spent a dollar 89 on one bin and have like 85 pages of like, making that up. But you know what I mean? It, it's really, we are such perfectionists that I think we spend so much time trying to make things perfect in the background of spinning our wheels of stuff that really doesn't impact the client satisfaction or our bottom line. And I also think that we're really hesitant, many of us are very hesitant to charge for a lot of things that we really should be charging for. And some of those things are taking donations, setting up services, anything that you're doing that's not at the job site, you should be charging for. You can choose not to on a case-by-case basis, but do it in a mindful manner and let the client know that you're doing it. I actually had a situation recently where I had done something for a client. I hadn't charged her. She didn't notice. And then she asked me about it. And I I was like, oh, well, you know, I didn't charge you for that because I, I want, there was a reason why I hadn't. And I explained it to her. She's like, oh, I said, I should probably communicate those with you going forward. And she's like, yeah, yeah, that would be nice because I didn't have any idea you did that. And it was really nice of you to do it. And I'm like, yeah, I should tell you those things. The other things that I think people, and if you listen to my session at, Conference, I think it's on the um, conference recordings. I do talk about supplies. And that's my whole session is about supplies. And a lot of people aren't charging for their supplies. And so you're using trash bags and gloves and masks and labels, and you're not charging. You're losing money on every single job that you could be charging for. And the clients, nobody's going to say anything like, oh my gosh, you charged me $8 for bags. And no, never have I once had anybody even question our supplies fee ever because I would never expect a plumber to come and use PVC piping in my bathroom. I'm making that up cause I know nothing about plumbing, but um, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> uh, that I would never expect him to give me a piece of PVC pipe or if they had to use up a, a screws or if an, if a person came in to hang pictures in my house, I would expect to be, to pay for the hanging supplies. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, right. So these are our supplies and people should charge for them. So that's just my opinion. But I think that people have a lot of money on the table, and I think it eats away at your bottom line. And the more that you do that you're giving away, it is not sustainable. You Mm -hmm. cannot grow your company and continue to do everything and work every minute and giving a lot of stuff away. The majority of our clients have a lot more money than we do, but we go into their homes, we become part of their family, we empathize with them, we become friends with some of them. But I think we, a lot of times, Um, overlap like we we blur that boundary between friend and client and the client some of them are I mean I've we had a client who insisted on taking my team out for tacos for lunch at this restaurant recently and it's not something we do but she was insistent you guys are my family you saved my life you've made my life worth living again kind of thing and what was I gonna do say oh no I'm sorry Um, but the team asked me they're like how do we handle this and I, I was like when we're there we can be social. We're going to go off the clock for an hour. I'm still going to pay them, but the client doesn't know this. And right. But I'm not going to charge the client for that hour. And for her, it was this way of letting her team know how much she cared about my team. And, and I, I actually left a meeting, came and joined them for ate my taco. And then I left It was this Mexican restaurant and she had a margarita. It was great. <laughs> And yeah, it was just this way of giving, but going back, she has no expectations that I'm not going to charge her for the rest of the day, or I'm going to, you know, you have to draw that line and make sure that they understand I can be friendly, I can be social and here's where the clock stops. And then if we're going to chit chat afterwards, that's my choice if I want to stay, but I'm not going to take your donations for free just because we've been friendly on the job. Right. Make sense. That's kind of where I try to make sure that people really think about that, because here's the thing: if if you are new and starting, or even if you've been doing this for a while, and you're working, say you're working five days a week, that would be lovely. If say you've got clients five days a week, and you're working, like we typically work nine to four thirty. I know some people mm-hmm. work shorter days, but uh, we work nine to four thirty most days. We try to re- start wrapping up around three thirty four o'clock. Try to get out the door by four thirty, and. At that time, that's a long day. You're working seven and a half hours. You've driven there, you've gotta drive home. So imagine you're doing that five days a week and then on your way home, you are making phone calls for the client, you're dropping off things at donation, you're getting back, you're um, trying to set up whatever you're doing afterwards. So that's another, like that's more time and if you're not charging for that every day, you're gonna start to resent it. It's gonna exhaust you. It's not gonna make you as efficient as you might otherwise be. So my team, like everybody is, it's, everybody knows what they're doing and we track all of our time. We have a a time and expense app that we use and everybody tracks every single bit of their time to the 10th of the hour. And I highly encourage everyone to do this, whether you have employees or not, you don't have, we use Harvest, you can use whatever, there's all different kinds of time apps and expense apps. The reason this makes your life so much easier is, here's an example, I do some consulting with these interior designers, different ones like kitchen layouts and closets, you know, we'll do inventories for the clients and come up with recommendations, that kind of thing. Um, And I had done some work with this interior designer and on two different clients. And before I had started using this app, I was just tracking it like on my calendar and notes, as most of us do. But I just started using this app and I was really religious about using it, putting in every single time that I did. So then I go to invoice the guy after it was like a month long project. I go to invoice and I kind of forgotten that I'd been doing it on this app. So I go and I do my typical, I'm going to go, oh, I'm gonna, you know, look in my calendar, my notes. And I, I do the invoice. I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. I put everything in the app. I go to the app. I had underbilled the guy by like $2,000. Wow. Yeah. That's how bad I was at tracking it on my calendar. Cause I had forgotten all the emails that I had done and the research. I didn't, I didn't, those weren't in my calendar. I was just doing them when I was sitting down. But what I did is I would go on my, um, it has an extension on Chrome, so I can just tap it and track time, start a timer. So I was doing that every time I would sit down and do my uh, emails or whatever I was doing, spreadsheets for them, $2,000. Yeah, that paid for my app for years. And so you don't realize how much you're giving away until you start tracking what you're doing. And like I said at the beginning, anybody who knows me, we have such intensive policies and procedures that are guidelines this is what we we track everything and we do that so that it makes our job easier and if you've got all of your systems set up i call it our infrastructure but if you have your infrastructure set up it makes your job so much easier it takes time this is when you were talking at the beginning about if you've got some slow times this Mm -hmm. is what you be working on you should be working on your policies your procedures setting up those canned responses Um, i just set up yesterday Because for my consulting, I'm finding that I'm giving these particular references to some of the people that I'm talking to, and I'm like, why am I doing this every time I'm talking to them? I just took these screenshots, and I took these links, and I put them in a document in that folder. So now I can just copy and paste them. I don't have to go and recreate the wheel each time. I am not a fan of recreating the wheel ever. So set up those things. Take your time to set up your systems. Streamline your systems. Analyze what you're doing. Come up with ways to make your life easier so that you can focus on the client
1: growth and development, that's the only way that you're going to grow. This already, this, you, this is such an important episode for so many reasons. And I think for me, the biggest reason is how much you focus on, when I say self-care, yes, you, Liz, but also your company and your employees. And you said, you know, your business supports your family. And I think we forget about that when we become business owners, you know, as organizers and productivity uh, professionals that we need to make money for ourselves and for, for our families. And I love how okay you've made it for us to talk about that because I think so many times it's, it's this topic that we all tiptoe around. And I think it's really important to just get it out there, make it important, make it not a big deal in terms of Being able to say it to your clients or put it on your website, I just I love that I really do. So thank you for sharing that.
2: Absolutely, I think it's super important.
1: It is. Um, One last question before we go here. Well, I've got two more, but one before my last one is, let's talk about client growth. What are some really effective ways organizers and productivity specialists can find more clients? What works for you?
2: That's a hard one. Where a lot of my growth has been very organic, but I will say that having a really good website. And that, like, mm-hmm. we're in our third or fourth redesign now. But I think a website is really important. Um, staying out there in social media is really important. But I also think connecting with your clients and asking them to refer you, and not like, I don't, I'm not a big fan of like form stuff and things like that. But if somebody is talking about a friend, don't hesitate to say, "Oh my gosh, I would love to help your friend." I, I had a call yesterday from somebody we worked with two years ago. And she's she's like, oh, I work with Sherry, and I'd love to have you come out and do my kitchen. I'm like, awesome. But making it okay for them and making it easy for them. Mm-hmm. We follow up after our jobs with an email. And it's just very nice, and I customize it for each one. But it's, here's our social media links. If you really enjoy that, please feel free to click on this and talk about us on Facebook or give us a review. But before that, I'm always calling them, and I stay in touch I think a lot of us, it's, it's scary. I was really scared for the longest time to call and make sure everything was okay. Cause what if it wasn't And yeah. it was really, really scary. Like I was, I, my stomach would hurt. I, I would feel like I was going to throw up. I'm like, Oh, what if it wasn't okay? But then I had to realize, well, if it's not okay, I kind of need to know and I can fix it. Yeah. So I had to reframe that in my own head of, hey, how is everything? Did everything turn out exactly as you wanted? Is there anything outstanding? Is there anything that's going on that needs to be done that we can take care of? And 99% of the time, they're like, no, everything's fantastic. But I had one this week where there was a miscommunication. It was actually at a, at a company, and we had gone in to organize their break room and supply room and all that other kind of stuff. It was actually a client we'd had from the residential, and they asked us to come into the company at their new offices. And one, the main person had asked to put labels on the outside of the cabinets and drawers at my recommendation, because there's all these different people that work there. And when they were there, the office manager said he didn't want them. So I follow up with the person who's in charge of the office. And I said, hey, how's everything? Oh, everything's wonderful. But I was really surprised that we didn't have labels on the I'm like, oh, no. So I have somebody going out this week to put labels on. But, um, but it was OK, because otherwise, if I hadn't reached out, I wouldn't know that she was disappointed that we didn't have labels on the outside and I would not have known. So I had to get over that. But what I found is when I do that follow-up personally and I call and I check in or I follow up with an email three months later or I text them because I'm in their neighborhood – or I send them a little, hey, I was thinking about you because I saw this thing. Or here's this product. I just sent somebody. Um, you heard of the TED Talks? Yes. Okay. So TEDx Nashville is coming. I was talking to somebody, one of a client, about this, and then an email came through yesterday about they need volunteers at TEDx Nashville, and I just sent it to her. I said, Hey, we were talking a while back about TEDx. I found this email. I thought you would find it. She's like, Oh my god, thank you. This is fantastic. And by the way, we should get together and do some networking. And I'm like, Great. So. I think a lot of it is not being afraid to reach out to the clients. I think sometimes we feel this like, Oh, I don't want to bother them or I'm afraid of what I might hear, but don't be afraid of it. And you really have to reach out and be comfortable with it. Cause if something's not right, give them the opportunity to tell you so you can fix it and do it quickly. You don't want to do it six months later and you don't want to find that they're not happy. So that, that is a big part of it. The other part I think is just getting out there, networking, joining some groups finding your target market, you know, those typical kinds of things. I have found, though, that getting involved with nonprofits can be a really Mm -hmm. good way, especially if it's a nonprofit that you really believe in. And it's even better if the people that are involved in it are your client base or at least know your client base. Um, That I found, and I don't mean just getting involved by giving a donation. I mean, like getting involved, participating, Mm -hmm. joining their events, um, maybe getting on a board or two. I think that can be really, because it's something you're passionate about. Getting involved at your kids' schools, uh, those kinds of things, just being involved in the community can be really helpful as well. But I think for me, the biggest thing is not being afraid to reach out to the clients and communicate with them. That was always my biggest fear. That and talking about money. A lot of it is—is is it's always the fear that I made a mistake. It's the fear of, well, I don't know if they're going to want to talk to me, or the fear of there is. I worry all the time you know, I I constantly worry. I worry about, do my employees have enough hours? Are we going to make enough money? Can I make payroll this month? Um, Are my clients happy? Do we have enough jobs coming? I mean, it's never ending. And I've just had to reframe a lot of that in my head to realize that I can't worry without coming up with a solution. And so the only solution for me is addressing each of the things and being able to confront them. And I don't mean confront in an antagonistic way, but just being, recognizing, acknowledging. This is what I tell my employees too. When clients are talking on the job, it's kind of a very similar sort of thing. When clients are talking and they're throwing all different things at you and da-da-da, and you're like, I don't know how to handle, whether it's a situation that is a problem or if it's, you're getting to be the end of the day and they're like, can you do all these other things? And they're like, I don't know how to handle that, like situations. And so my policy for, any of that, including my own worries, is to acknowledge it, document it, and then address it. And so I acknowledge, oh, I'm worried about this thing. Or you can acknowledge from the client, yes, I hear you. We'd be happy to do it. Let me write that down and document it. So if I have anything that's working, okay, okay, I'm going to document it. I need to make it to do. I'm going to write a note. I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do. And then I need to address it in some form or fashion. And so if it's on the job, they're going to address it at the next session or schedule something to do it. If it's me and my own, you know, manic worry, then what am I going to do and when am I going to take care of it? And so for me really looking at what are those things that stress me out and how am I going to address them and manage them so I can sleep at night? Right. That I don't, I don't want to be woken up with panic attacks. I've been there, done that. And you know, it's, I, I have got. I had to kind of come to a, a realization that everybody's going through stuff. This is just my stuff, and I just have to address it head on, and realize I'm always going to feel these things, and I just have to acknowledge that I'm going to. This is how I'm going to probably react. <laughs> and and then calm down, be okay with it, and then how am I going to fix it? And I think so many of us are problem solvers, but we solve everyone else's problems, and then when it comes to our own problems we perseverate, we procrastinate, and we just are like, well, I don't know what to do. But I think if we turn it around and look at it, what if this was a client's problem? What would you tell them to do? Right? It's mean, always my favorite. What's the worst that could happen? That's what I tell my teenager all the time. What's the worst that could happen? Um, you know, and, and sometimes the worst can, you, know, you can imagine the worst, but it's almost never that. I've had, yeah. I've had literally, I've had clients that I this is like before I kind of implemented this new procedure that I have of really checking in with every single person. I had a client probably four or five years ago that for some reason, I just didn't feel good about the job. I think, I don't know if it was a comment and I was afraid to reach out to them. I was like, I really feel like we didn't do a good job with that. And it really bothered me. Like occasionally I'd see them in social media and I was like, oh, I didn't want to reach out to them. I felt, you know how you get that weird, like icky pit in your stomach. And that's how I felt about that client. Oh yeah. I... Last year, they reached out to me like, hey, we'd love for you to come out and do another project for us. We love you guys. And I'm like, what? Okay, great. (laughs) I completely misread the situation. If I had called them after the job and said, hey, how's everything? Even like, even though I had that weird feeling, I would have realized they loved us. What was going on was going on with them. It actually came up. They brought up something not like, oh, I, I thought you guys didn't like us." It wasn't that. It was more like. I remember what it was, but it was something to the effect of like something had been going on personally with them that we weren't aware of. And they brought up like, um, Hey, this thing is now resolved, whatever that I can't remember what that thing was, but it was not a, it was nothing to do with us. Something that was going on with them and it impacted how they were communicating with us. I interpreted it, of course, like, Oh my God, we screwed up. It had nothing to do with us and they loved us. And we went back and did another project with them. So our own insecurities and our own issues are the things that block us the most. I think, in when it comes to growth,
1: I can't agree more. Um, in life, in business, in all sorts of situations, <laughs> <I think laughs> right? Everything, yeah. Okay, so let's say our listeners are you know frantically taking notes here. They want to improve their business themselves. What are two sticky notes that you could give our listeners that? Uh, you think is the most important thing to take away from our interview today, that they can maybe implement into their business either today or this week, something, you know, high impact value.
2: I think the first takeaway for me would be to um, go with your gut. And by that, I mean, listen to yourself when it comes to making decisions about the direction that you want to take your company. But on the flip side of that, work through your fear. So, I think fear and then that going with the gut are opposite ends of that coin that was not a good analogy, but um yeah. The going with your gut means recognizing if something's not working and then changing it so that it does work and not being afraid of that. Like like the personal assistant thing. I it was I'm like, "Oh my god, we said we were going to do this and then we didn't and we t- took it away." And I was okay. But then going through the fear is fear it changes is scary and so you have that fear of trying something new, but if you don't try something new, you will never grow. So the gut, aspect is, um, the gut aspect is being able to figure out what's working and not working. The fear aspect is don't let that hold you back from trying something new. The second big takeaway for me is seriously, policies and procedures and systems. Like I can't even, like too many of us fly by the seat of our pants Every day, it's like everything's new again. No, you cannot grow if that is how you're running your business. You cannot. You need to implement project management software in some form or fashion. We use Basecamp. People use Drive, Evernote, Insightly. There's all different kinds of things out there people can use. Time tracking, expense tracking, documentation, procedures of how you're going to do everything in your day, procedures of how you're going to work with your employees, Document, document, document. Analyze and document some more. You yeah. can never go wrong with that. And when you've got slow days, this is what you should be doing. So those are my two. One of them's like touchy feely, and the other one is super practical. <laughs> that's kind of how I have like both ends of things. I'm kind of that weird. I'm like that that CEO like uh, stereotype, creative but needs structure. And yes, that's how a lot of us are. I think a lot of us given too much from that creative, loving, warm, getting things done aspect. We don't put enough emphasis on that practical, I'm running a business aspect. And I think when we don't have a balance between those two things, this is why companies do not grow. And this is why they stagnate. And this is why people burn out. And this is why they don't make money. Right. Ah, oh, so good. Takeaway. I made two points, but long and wordy points.
1: No, I they're they're awesome there. Like I asked for a high impact. I think implementing those two things at least into your mindset this week would make a huge difference in in 2018 for a lot of our listeners. So, Liz, thank you for your time. Where do you hang out on the web? Where can our listeners either keep up with you or even reach out to you?
2: So, I have my website afreshface.com. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, I don't really do much with Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn, uh, Facebook and Instagram are my two big ones. I am on Twitter and LinkedIn. I don't do a whole lot there. So I guess Facebook, Instagram, primarily, if somebody did want to consult, which you offer, and it's just, it's virtual consulting uh, via Zoom, uh, phone, FaceTime, whatever. I don't do accountability or time management, but what I do is answer questions just like I am with you, very honestly and openly, and I talk to people about what's going on in their business and give them really good feedback about what they can do, very practical advice about what they can do to help grow.
1: And I do uh, one to two hour calls with people, a lot of fun. That's amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. I think this episode, listeners, we need to kind of listen to it once and then come back to it because I think it's really important that we start changing our mindset on what it means to actually be business owners. It's okay. It's essential to be profitable. And whether you want to remain a solopreneur or add employees, we kind of just have to do what's best for our business Today, whatever it is that you want to accomplish, whatever your goals are. I'm Sarah Caracayan. That wraps up this episode of Standout. Thank you for being here with me and for learning with me. If you like this podcast, if you're able to walk away with inspiration or something valuable, please leave us a review and hit that subscribe button. We want to reach as many organizing and productivity professionals as possible. So in addition to subscribing and leaving us a review, please feel free to share this and every episode with your colleagues, your team, or whoever else might benefit. Thank you for spending your time with me. I look forward to hanging out with you next time. I'll talk to you then.
0: That's all for this episode of Stand Out, brought to you by the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit napo.net to learn more about our educational offerings, our local chapters, and both certification and certificate opportunities. Don't miss an episode as we help you build the business you've always dreamed of owning.